0: Good evening everyone. Welcome to our
1: live broadcast for those of you watching on YouTube after
0: to our recorded broadcast. Either way, whether you're here live or not live, welcome. So now this is a time for us to Come together to study and practice the Dhamma. Take up a meditative posture and attitude. Focus your attention
1: on the Dhamma. Put aside anything else that's distracting you. Facebook,
0: mobile phones. Turn off the music or close the door. Today is the new moon. It's one of the bi-monthly Uposata days. It's a traditional time for getting together. We just happen to have come together on this day. So today's topic... Today's topic is evil. Yes, there exists evil in the world. It confounds us. We see so much good in the world, so much beauty, so
1: much happiness, so much pleasure. As human
0: beings, we have so much potential for good and happiness so it confounds us when we wind up in suffering and stress and evil what is it exactly why is it exactly why is it that we want to be happy we're not happy
1: we want to be good we can't always be good we want
0: to be at peace, and yet we find strife, stress. In Buddhism, we have five things that we consider to be evil. They're called mara. Mara means evil. And the first is what we normally associate with The concept of suffering suffering is evil In Pali, we say "Kandamara Kanda
1: means the aggregates of experience
0: all oh, there's five aggregates of experience, and all five of them. Are corrupted by evil. The first is the physical aggregate. Physical aggregate has so much that is evil. We have old age, when your body starts to deteriorate, weaken, even
1: your brain starts to weaken all of the systems the digestive system the respiratory system cardiovascular our skin starts to wrinkle our teeth start to brown and chip and fall out our
0: eyes get weaker our ears get weaker not to mention when we get sick
1: when we catch a virus and it causes temporary or permanent harm to the body. There's a lot that c- can be said to be evil.
0: But it can lead to great despair, we think. If this is it, if this is evil, what, what, how do we f- escape this? Some
1: people even resort to killing themselves, suicide as a, as a solution. It actually seems somewhat reasonable because there's no other way to escape the evils of the aggregates. Physical aggregate, the, the sensation, the aggregate of sensation, there's so much pain that comes,
0: physical pain, mental pain. And the aggregate of perception, having to be associated with
1: things we don't want, dissociated from things we do want
0: having to see unpleasant things hear unpleasant things the formations aggregate what we think about things all of our reactions
1: and judgment even the consciousness aggregate of course because again we have to be conscious of things we don't want to be conscious of seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting we can't control our consciousness and say may i only be conscious of these things and not be conscious of those things may
0: i only experience good things all those bad things may i be able to avoid them And so all of this is quite evil and, and and can lead to great despair
1: for those who are faced with it, faced with intense suffering
0: from the evils of the aggregates of experience, the evil side of them. The bad news is there's four more things to add to the list. There is good news
1: though. The good news is that none of these things has to be evil. None of them has to be a cause for suffering. We can call them suffering, but they're not the cause for suffering. So the second type of evil is called kilesa mara. Kilesa means quite literally defilement, corruption.
0: And it refers to the corruption in the mind. It refers to
1: things we would consider corruptions because they are the cause of suffering. Because they lead to further suffering. They, they support and augment and increase our suffering. These are the states of mind that get us caught up and entangled and reactionary towards
0: the five aggregates towards our experience, greed when we want things, anger when we
1: despise or dislike things, delusion when we become arrogant or conceited or attached, identifying with things egotistical
0: and possessive and so on. really without these the good news is we can shift
1: the burden to these things such that if we free ourselves from defilement we can free ourselves from the suffering of the aggregates because they comprise every sort of reaction that might cause suffering when seeing is just seeing hearing is just hearing if you if you, you can free yourself from the reaction Then it doesn't matter what you see and those things you didn't want to see become only things that you see and then the disliking, the aversion
0: disappears. The craving for things that you can't get disappears. This is the Buddhist perspective that happiness doesn't come from getting what you want and
1: chasing away what you don't want. It comes rather from freeing yourself
0: from the need for those things. To never be left wanting. Our normal way of perceiving this is is as uh, being bereft.
1: When you when you let go of your wants and your needs and your desires, there's a fear that you might lose. And this is only because of our delusion, our, our perspective on
0: things is very wrong, very misguided. And you can see if you undertake the practice of mindfulness to see clearly as your
1: mind begins to see experience more clearly and understand the mechanisms
0: involved. You find yourself becoming more and more at peace, more and more happy, more and more liberated, alive. And you see that the real problem is not the aggregates; it's the defilements. It's the, it's
1: certain states of mind. You can get rid of those. Your mind can be so pure.
0: It feels pure because there's no more suffering. The third evil is called Mara.
1: This is next on the list. The real problem with the defilements is that they lead to Abhisankara. Abhisankara. Sankara means formation. Abhisankara means uh, potent formation. Potent mental formations. Meaning those machinations
0: in the mind that are karmically potent. This is karma. It's our
1: intentions, our volitions, our decisions. When we like something and we decide to chase after it, when we dislike something and we decide to fix it or do away with it, every time we decide to speak or act, this
0: is karma. Even before we've spoken or acted, The karma already starts. The karma already has taken taken over the process, taken over the mind. And this is really evil because this is where it becomes
1: solidified, where our defilements really take a shape, where they become active and... and consume our lives this is where all of our entanglements come from because of our defilements because of certain states of mind all of our reactions we make rash decisions uh, impetuous decisions we make decisions against our own interest we make decisions to hurt ourselves and others
0: and we do and say and think things that are to our detriment Abhi Sankara, very evil. Not not a lot needs to be done here except to say that while we're
1: trying to deal with our defilements, a part of our practice has to be from the other end, from the point of view of our actions and our speech. We use them as objects of mindfulness to see the defilements behind them, to see the, the intentions behind them, when they are corrupt, when we speak from a bad intention, when we act from a bad intention by focusing on the speech and the actions and being mindful of them as well. We're in a good position to see what's behind them, whether it's pure or impure, whether it's a cause for suffering or happiness, whether we're good-intentioned or bad-intentioned. So they're very much a part of our practice and a part of the what we might call the problem. And so by focusing on our defilements, focusing on our actions and speech and intentions,
0: we come to have a much better picture uh, of how the defilements work, how suffering comes about.
1: Of course, that is also to say that we focus on the aggregates as well. By focusing on the aggregates, the the, the which is basically the four satipatthana, but the physical and mental aspects of experience, yeah, we're able to see as well how the mind reacts and we're able to see reality in a much clearer fashion such that we don't react so these are all a very important part of our practice it's a good way of describing the practice of mindfulness as well mindfulness is very much involved with the practice of overcoming evil of addressing the issue of evil and so it can seem as a side note somewhat um, unpleasant or pessimistic right it sounds like this is a dour and dreary sort of practice but it's just like medicine medicine is meant to address sickness while well, mindfulness is meant to address a type of sickness as well so it has to be a negative sort of thing focus much on the negatives because as you do that the health co- the mind becomes more healthy just as the body will become more healthy if you don't focus on the sickness you'll never be healthy and health is not something you have to worry about or maintain you maintain it by focusing on the the illness focusing on the problems focusing on potential health problems wear a mask for example people upset about wearing masks it's such a negative thing you want to have the positives you need to
0: Protect against the negatives. That's where how it works. Unfortunately, there's even a fifth Mara. Right, we've been through four. There's one more.
1: We have one more Mara, and this is. This is called Dewa i oh, no, sorry. We have two more. Well, we've gotten three so far. I missed one.
0: Amara number four is death, right? So, to some extent, it is possible to avoid suffering
1: and even live with our greed, our desire, our aversion, and not really feel like there's going to be any consequences to our desire and our aversion. Because we can structure our
0: lives in such a way that we're able to avoid suffering. Of course, all the while building up increased aversion, increased addiction.
1: But it doesn't seem problematic because of the continuation, the, the, the ability to continue as we are, the ability to perpetuate our situation. And it feels static. It feels like we are stable. Sometimes, most often, it just feels like we could be stable if only we were successful in this way or that. But sometimes, sometimes we give we have this very strong delusion that our lives are stable. I think I talked about last time. This angel in heaven who thought his uh, his mansion, his his life in heaven was stable, and then this uh, this monk came along and caused an earthquake in his mansion and and he's shocked and
0: afraid, very afraid, realizing the uncertainty of his existence. Because everything is subject to
1: death, what we learned last Saturday I think at the Dhamma study, everything is subject to death whether it be alive or whether it be animate or inanimate, everything is subject to dissolution. Even in this life, death is a part of experience. The death of our loved ones, the death of our possessions, the dissolution of our possessions, the loss of our status and our situation, all of these are a type of death and ultimately of course the death of of this physical body which forces us to leave behind any sort of stability we might have had and thrusts us into the unknown where if we haven't prepared ourselves we might be
0: susceptible to a great negative change of status death can be a great evil
1: Death need not be evil if we're prepared for it, if we're in a good state of mind when we die, but it's very hard to predict what our mind's going to be like at the moment of death because the the body ceases to function and we're left only with the machinations of our mind. And if we've developed great greed and attachment and aversion, we're going to be caught very much off guard by the things that haunt us, loss of our loved ones, loss of our possessions and all of those things we've been running away from and avoiding of course they have power over us they're going to come back in our thoughts especially when we die we'll be plagued by them
0: and they can have a great influence over our progress our our future and our rebirth our next life our next birth
1: so death is a great evil it need not be if we are ready for it but it is an evil we should be conscious of something to always keep in mind everything in this life dies and even this life itself must end not to be negligent and attached
0: to things that cannot possibly satisfy us And the fifth mara is called Devaputamara. It refers to
1: this set of heavenly divine beings
0: that don't want us to free ourselves from the from the pull of evil There is supposed to be a set of, a, a group of angel, a group of divine. A realm of divine
1: beings a type of divine being that rejoices in the creation of others that's what they're called the the divine beings that rejoice in the creation of others creations of others
0: and so they're happy to see us create and become become this and that happy to see us go to war
1: it's like watching uh, movies for them watching humans is is entertainment reality tv reality what reality what do they call it reality television
0: a live reality show so all of you
1: who are caught up in reality television that's probably maybe where you're headed be born as those beings who would be very upset as many people are upset when 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 those they are attached to start to practice mindfulness those who practice mindfulness become quieter more content less interested in passion and desire and excitement
0: much more at peace with themselves which is disturbing for those who are not
1: it can lead to actually great conflict and upset for those who are not able to find such peace. And so this one actually has, need not be limited to a a set of divine beings that many, many people have never seen or, or may never interact with.
0: So apparently they're around and they do interact with human beings and try and trick them into,
1: manipulate them into staying caught up in samsara. But this applies to anything, any external source, any person. It applies even to our, our pets, animals, anything that might disrupt our, our progress,
0: our, our development, our, our growth. as spiritual beings there's so much this is an evil that we as buddhist meditators should very much be cognizant of and uh, wary of careful we should be careful not to get caught up with
1: other beings who might manipulate us and tear us away from our growth and, and our, our
0: progress towards enlightenment and freedom from suffering. Why it's very important to associate with good people. Asevana nang,
1: don't associate with fool, foolish people. Panditanan
0: sevana, associate with the wise. If you can do that, that's the greatest blessing. So this is the Buddha's teaching on evil, as I am able to explain it. Evil is again an important
1: part or important way of describing or talking about the Buddha's teaching,
0: because it's the problem that we have to deal with. So now without further ado, having spoken on the dhamma and we'll give you all a
1: chance to ask questions about the dhamma if there are any questions please feel free to ask them now okay let's begin
2: Having achieved deep bodily tranquility, it feels so relaxing and pleasurable to abide in a concentrated mind, which does not get easily distracted by the senses. How do I get out of this trap of
0: taking pleasure in a concentrated mind? Right, so be clear that it's not the pleasure, it's not the concentrated mind that is the
1: problem. It's the liking of it. Liking that is usually associated with pleasure. It's in the same mind state that likes. The liking and the pleasure are, are part and parcel, which makes liking very hard to free, us, free
0: ourselves from. It's like sweet poison. But even even that, even the problem, Buddhist practice is a shift in
1: perception, to see things not as problems but as experiences. So rather than trying to fix them, we try to understand them. So all of those parts of it, the concentration, the calm, the pleasure, and the liking, all of those things should become objects of mindfulness to try to be understood. Say liking, say happy, say calm, focused, quiet, or anything like that relaxed even so we're not trying to fix anything we're just trying to understand it's like untying a knot you can't throw the knot away you have to untie it
0: which means pulling and pulling little by little until it releases how can being mindful help humans heal after traumas Well, trauma trauma involves uh, reaction, very strong reaction,
1: and builds. You see, it's not. It, we think the trauma is caused by the experience, and that's only true to some extent. It actually builds as a result of the reaction, so it becomes worse over time without treatment. Which is why they try to treat it with drugs or therapy, because if you don't catch it. It spirals out of control. it gets worse. Trauma isn't just because of the, and that's a, I think an error that 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 um, takes hold of people's minds belief that all of what I'm experiencing now is because of that one trauma in the past, and it's actually not the case. It's not entirely the truth. absolutely the the experience I say left you scarred. Or well, no, that's not really accurate, but created a um, it created an, a trigger for or you know what an ordinary person would
0: would would react with 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 anger or fear or stress extreme anguish sadness and you know, and so on, but
1: that's only because first of all that our only because our minds are susceptible to to those reactions are inclined towards those reactions on the first hand on the one hand first of all and second of all um as i said it it's not the whole story as a result of those reactions and the perpetuation of those reactions and the belief uh, that they're caused by that experience Every time you experience remember it, recall that experience you you make it worse. you perpetuate and you augment and you you habituate you, you you create a habit of of that reaction, and so it gets worse and so mindfulness is about deconstructing this as you start to see more clearly as you as you focus on the experiences as they arise, seeing them for what they are you you prevent this. You change the perspective. You break the chain of causality. Seeing is only seeing, hearing is only hearing. Feeling is only feeling, thinking is only thinking.
0: You break that chain and you free yourself from that. How would I know I'm meditating wrong? Well, i want to talk about this
1: i want to answer this from a very technical perspective i think so it may not be the only way to answer this question but you're only meditating on moments so when you have the doubt about whether you're meditating wrong or right you're not meditating anymore you're doubting or you're wondering or you're thinking okay so I'll start technically. I'll get get to something a little more practical. But let's, let's start from a technical basis. So to be clear, meditation happens in moments. One moment where you're mindful, where you're seeing th- something as it is, then you're meditating. Or you might say one moment where you're cultivating that state of clarity. So when you say to yourself, pain or thinking or so
0: on, that's when you're meditating correctly, just in that moment. When you step back and ask yourself, am am I practicing right or wrong?
1: On the one hand, it's very hard to have an answer to that because at that moment you're not engaging in the practice. And so what it looks like in the beginning is meditators will often fall into this trap of of, uh, returning back to this worrying and doubting and wondering whether they're practicing correctly and and focusing it very much or basing it very much on the results and results are very hard to to gauge uh, for especially one's own results because of course you're biased and your, your perception is always going to be colored it's easier to see someone else's but results but even still results are never predictable because we're very complicated and because our practice isn't the only thing going on with us we have much in our past many bad habits that are still resurfacing meditation is only one part of the puzzle if you can do more and more meditation it becomes more a part of the puzzle but it's always going to be in conflict with many other habits So on the one hand, you have to be careful not to fall into this trap of wondering about how you're meditating, wondering if you're meditating wrong, because those are moments that are not really helpful. And the the, the greatest clarity in terms of how you're meditating, how your meditation is going, is going to come at the moment of meditation, when you experience those moments of clarity. You put it into practice and you experience just for a moment clarity of mind when you are persistent and when you're systematic in the practice and then you have these moments where you see things clearly I mean, it's not it sounds kind of spiritual or mystical or so on it's not really it just means you'll start to see how how, how useful it is you'll start to see the the breaking up of the chain of causality, how you're not reacting to things, how you're able to experience pain as just pain and thoughts as just thoughts where normally they would upset you. And practically speaking, that extrapolating from that is how you tell whether your practice is successful. As you start to see that this is becoming a part of your habit, you're, you're less reactionary, you're less upset by things,
0: you're less evil in your responses. How can we best deal
2: with fear of negative mind states that might arise during meditation?
1: The same way you deal with any fear. There are many types of fear you might have, but it's still just fear. There's nothing special about that fear. You would just say, afraid, afraid. But but to address it, and I guess to address most fears, there is, there is a way to address it based on the content of the fear. That there's no need to fear negative states, because just like fear, they're just mind states. When you have those negative mind states arise, well, if you say to yourself, afraid, afraid now, well, when those arise, you can do the same thing. Suppose you're afraid of getting angry. Well, say afraid, afraid, and building up that skill, when anger arises, you
0: can do the same, and you say angry, angry. When I
2: meditate and see the world more clearly, I see more chaos and evil than I did before.
1: Is this the effect of seeing more clearly? Really, technically, yes. That's what I was trying to explain with the talk. Um, But I think you're talking about the world. You're talking about worldly evil, and it's just an extension, really. Being able to perceive evil more clearly is a very useful thing. It might seem kind of depressing and and discouraging because oh wow now I'm really pessimistic. But you need not be pessimistic. The truth is there is a lot of evil in the world, and we sometimes ignore that. We sometimes purposefully avoid seeing that, or or uh, in, uh, non un. What's the opposite of purposefully?
0: Uh, unconsciously, I, we we without purpose, we just. Uh, don't see it through ignorance through through lack of caring through lack of awareness
1: as you're mindful you become more sensitive in a good way because you're all, you become stronger as well but certainly more sensitive to evil you're able to perceive it much more clearly and so this is a compass that guides you you don't need a moral compass external to yourself You have an internal moral compass as to what's good and what's bad. What's
0: positive, negative, what's beneficial, what's harmful. So yes, I think the answer is yes.
1: It's not the only effect, right? I mean, obviously the the more important and more positive and, and uplifting effect is that you're less caught up in evil. That you have more good in you. And you encounter more good as a result of
0: your uh, your change in perspective. My nose
2: often tightens up at sinuses when meditating. Do I keep through with it or
1: do I switch to mouth breathing till my sinuses are relaxed? So in extreme cases, you might not be able to breathe through the nose at all. But if you are able to breathe through the nose, it's preferable because it's more sustainable. Mouth breathing is not as, as uh, sustainable. But even still, it's just mouth breathing. Just if that's how it has to be, that's how it has to be. I think when I was first practicing in Thailand, we all caught. There was a bunch of foreign meditators, and I think we we shared a, a virus, a cold or something, a cold, I guess. When we all got runny noses. So we'd be meditating and it was pretty awful. Then we had to do some mouth breathing. But mostly if it's just tightened, also try to note the feeling of being tightened. So it's quite often uh, partially mental. And when you note it, it, it clears up as well. I and mean, don't expect for that, but ju- just don't forget to note the tension as well. But when it's tense in the nose,
0: if, as long as you're able to breathe to some extent, it's preferable. How can I note angry mentally when I end up noting with anger surrounding the thought? Yeah, well, it takes practice. That's something you have to be conscious of,
1: that you're noting with anger, and that's not how you should be doing it. But just seeing that is a part of the practice. I mean, the fact that you're seeing that that's what you're doing is
0: success, right? It's not the highest success, but it's the start. So just be patient with it, you'll get better at it. I'm not sure what a true emancipation from suffering
2: feels like. I often feel like I'm just enjoying sukha vedana when I meditate,
0: that it's not true enlightenment. What is it like to feel true happiness? Well, you're right. Sukhavedana is not enlightenment. It's not true happiness because it's impermanent.
1: So true happiness is something hard to understand. It's, it's hard to appreciate unless you've experienced it because it's, it's something that doesn't arise and doesn't cease. But for someone who has experienced it, it's beyond anything, any sort of sukhavedana. Sukhavedana is not really all that useful or helpful. It doesn't make you a happier person. How you dis- distinguish it is because you're not a happier person as a result of Sukha vedana you're actually not. you might be a happy person in general, lucky you, but the Sukha vedana doesn't make you happier. I mean, it doesn't change your level of happiness
0: it can it, and it it
1: generally leads to increase in suffering and and stress when you don't get what you want. You have to be always worried about maintaining it and reachieving it and so on but that being said uh, the, the only practice to be done is to note the happiness when you feel happy say happy happy if you like it say liking liking just make sure you're noting objectively
0: you'll start to see more deeply about it and and free yourself from some of the delusions surrounding it How do I stop directed thinking? Well, I don't have an answer to that. That's
1: not what I teach. If you're interested in learning about what we practice, I recommend you read our booklet and maybe sign up for an at-home course if you're really interested. But we don't teach it because the the, the mind is of a nature to think it's just the nature of the mind if you try to stop yourself from thinking you're just going to suffer you're going to find stress and disappointment so we don't teach that or try to do it any any freedom from it would only be temporary instead we try to see the thinking just as it
0: is and when you're thinking and say to yourself thinking thinking How is enlightenment possible despite the power behind defilement?
1: Well, it's very difficult. But defilement isn't the only thing that has power. Goodness has power. Clarity has power. Mindfulness has power. In fact, defilement is quite... Well, I I guess I can't say that. Defilement, Defilement has power, for sure. But defilement doesn't make you powerful; it makes you weak. So there are things that make you more powerful,
0: and the strength will will overcome the defilement. Can nibbana be experienced and known?
1: Yes. The word "known" is a bit vague. I would say I would say. Conditionally, yes, but
0: you have to be to specify what you mean by known. Basically, yes. I have a lot of trouble meditating
2: and even living day-to-day life because I am always focused on the past or the future. I hold onto nostalgic feelings from my youth and fear that time is passing. Do you have advice on how to live in the moment?
1: So having trouble meditating, let's everyone listen up. Having trouble meditating is not a bad sign. Meditating is supposed meditation is supposed to be challenging. So take it as an encouraging sign that you're being challenged. All of what you're saying is fine. You you have a lot of trouble meditating. You're focused on the past and the future. This is the challenge that you're facing. This is what meditation's all about. Struggling. Struggling to change, struggling to get a better perspective on things. Our old perspective is problematic because it leads us to focus on the past and future and hold on to the path and worry about the future and so on. So my advice is not exactly to live in the moment, but to to have a better relationship with the past and with, with those thoughts. Because in fact, the thoughts are happening in the present moment. You are living in the present moment. It's not about living in the present moment. It's about changing your relationship with the present moment.
0: There is no past or future, it's all present. Your your perspective on it is just wrong. It's, it's causing you suffering. Once you remove desire, how can we follow the fourth
1: noble truth? In other
2: words, is desire needed to follow the eightfold path?
1: No, right view is needed to follow the Eightfold Noble Path. Not everything we do is out of desire, even though that's how we say it in English. We'd say, do do you want to go here? Do you want to? If I ask you, do you want to practice meditation? Hey, do you want to go practice meditation with me? I'm not asking, are you craving meditation? I'm asking, do you think it's a good idea? And if you have right view, you'll think it's a good idea and you'll do it. You'll say, yes, I want to do that. I'd like to do that even though it's not liking, it's not wanting. This is a question that comes up often because we have this idea that uh, wanting is the only reason you do things. And when you say, get rid of wanting, well, how could you do anything then? Well, you do everything. You do everything, but you do it mindfully. You do it with clarity. It's the only way to follow the Eightfold Noble Path without desire. But that being said, Let's understand that the eightfold noble path is a moment it's one moment when you're perfectly practicing so before that there's going to be lots of mistakes and lots of wrong practice and lots of liking and wanting and desire even wanting to meditate and so on but once you free yourself from all that you enter into a perfect state where you see things clearly and the mind lets go
0: in fact the path is what frees us from desire once you re- in fact, once you remove
1: desire, there is no path anymore. It's a, sort of a misunderstanding of what the Eightfold Noble Path means. The path is the thing that frees you from suffering. Once you're free from suffering, you don't actually follow the path. You can't actually experience that anymore because technically there's nothing to be achieved. Anything you might experience could not be called the path because there's no goal anymore.
0: There's no goal you could achieve that you haven't already achieved. right? So there's no more path. The less I think, the more my mind seems to expand. Is this an
1: illusion? It's a bit of an illusion because it's how you, how it seems to you. The truth, the reality is whatever it is that you're actually experiencing. If you experience a feeling of expansion, that's what's really happening, is there's a feeling. If you're thinking less, that's reality, the fact that you're thinking less. So in, medit- in mindfulness, we focus on those realities. We don't try to conceive of things as real or illusion or or uh, expanding,
0: contracting. It's just a feeling or, or an awareness, perhaps.
2: Sometimes when I meditate, I watch the abdomen but I may not note other things, like feelings or thoughts, and I think I concentrate too much on the stomach.
1: Should I change something? Yeah, you should note other things, like feelings and thoughts, if you experience them. Of course, you shouldn't go looking for them. If you don't experience them, that's fine. Ultimately, it's not a long-term problem, because they're going to push their way in, and you're going to have to deal with them. But don't ignore anything. If something, if you experience something, if it does push its way in and you're watching the stomach, but something else distracts you, feelings, thoughts, emotions,
0: you immediately switch to noting that, whatever it was. Once it's gone, then go back to the stomach. How can I be mindful when eating
1: and talking? When eating, you can note the chewing. You would say chewing, chewing, swallowing. When you're talking, it's challenging, but it's not impossible. See, the mind decides what you're going to advance. So as you're saying it, you can note the lips moving. You can note the sound of your own voice. You can note the feelings in, in, in your body. There's many things you can note while you're talking. You can note your emotions. There's a lot
0: that can go on between talking, right, For noting the emotions and so on. It feels that experience is rooted in significance. We have
2: an ego that seeks significance or we realize the significance of our consciousness.
1: Would it be useful to use significance as an object? If it feels like something, you should note that. You should say feeling, feeling. But this is more like a thought. You should say thinking. You're, you're creating a concept in your mind. You should note thinking, thinking. When you say we have an ego, etc., etc.,
0: you've created a, a theory, of view, and you should note that, thinking, thinking. Is meditating on Brahma-viharas a suitable samatha practice or to do before vipassana? Yeah, that's suitable. If wanting is not the only reason to do things, what can be another reason to do things? Wisdom Wisdom is a good reason to do things, uh, but a lot of things are just by habit
1: or or personality right we 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 speak and we act in certain ways because of our familiarity with them, and so it it mostly comes down to the path of least resistance. A lot of what we do is just path of least resistance. it's just
0: the the thing to do at that moment. But wisdom is, of course, the best reason. Should we return attention to breath whenever possible,
2: or just keep noting whatever we are experiencing?
1: So try and note whatever the one thing is that you're noting till it goes away. But once it's gone... Try to go back to the stomach unless there's something else that's really taking your attention. You can note that as
0: well. But always try to come back to the stomach if there's nothing else really pressing. If we are confronted by an evil person,
2: how do we not inflame them? Or if someone wants to collaborate, how does one avoid offending them by
0: saying no? Well, you can't always stop people from reacting negatively to what you do. That's not actually always possible. What you can do is prevent uh, being culpable for it, right? People react negatively to
1: non-negative things. You might say the right thing and they might respond with the
0: wrong response just because they have evil in them. But that being said the best the best
1: outcomes are always going to be for enlightenment so through the practice of mindfulness and
0: creating clarity of mind and coming to see the truth you have a much better time in your relationships with others Is it better to feel truths with your whole
2: being, perhaps in a way that brings real change, rather than by merely entertaining them in one's mind?
1: Yes. What you're describing is sort of like how we would explain it in Buddhism. Truth is not something to be entertained in your mind. It's not really helpful at all. Uh, In a preliminary sense, it can be useful to help align you with the right practice, but can also be misleading can also make you think you've already realized the truth the truth is to be sachi kattaba it's to be realized for yourself are we getting out of questions that are important it
0: looks that
2: way bante we're on to the second tier
0: all right let's stop there thank you all good questions of Course, I only
1: get the best ones. Thank you for our volunteers who give me the best questions and really make this really much a very smooth process. Thank you. We have uh, Olivia in the chat, we have, uh, of course, Chris here asking the questions, doing great work. And then we have behind the scenes, I think we have Ulu. We usually have Ulu, is there? Yeah, and Jim. And they're all they have a chat open so they're discussing they have they they do great work. They're actually here uh organizing all of this and deciding which questions are most urgent. See, we're trying to fo- answer ones that are urgent. It seems like an answer to this question will be important for the person asking it, that they really need some help there. Those are our highest priority. The rest I apologize that we don't get to some of them that are just Theory or curiosity or philosophy—it's not really what this is about. and You're welcome to join our Discord server if you're interested in studying the Dhamma. We have a study group. Oh, and thank thank you to—I uh, don't know if I can say this—thank uh, you to everyone who has supported our endeavor to start a meditation center. I appreciate everyone's. Uh, aligning with our own um, ideas about the the, the pro- future of this organization, the future of our community, in terms of actually finding a place to to live and to work and to cultivate mindfulness together.
0: So that's all for tonight. Thank you all. Sadhu. Have a good night. Sadhu.